0: It has been a year since the markets braced and faced two wars, one political and the other economic. It's been 368 days and counting of the Ukraine war that has redefined the global energy map. But it has also been close to a year that the Fed declared war on inflation. And after eight rounds at 450 basis points later, Powell still doesn't have the upper hand as the news last week revealed showing inflation picked up speed last month. The Federal Reserve says prices were up 0.6% in January, and they are 4.7% higher compared to last year. All numbers were higher than economists expected, ending a three-month stretch of cooling prices. The hotter the inflation gets, the worse the markets will behave, as the bets on rate hikes continue to get higher. And that was evident with the S&P 500 down nearly 3% last week, marking the worst week since December 9th. The Dow Jones average also down 3%, the fourth straight losing week. And the mood on Dalal Street isn't decoupled. In fact, we have outperformed in the underperformance. 8 lakh crore rupees have got wiped out in the week gone by and retail investors seem to be fleeing. Reports indicate that 38 lakh clients have left the market in six months and the fear gauge seems to be climbing. In this episode we ask, is the dream of immaculate disinflation finally disintegrating? And what does it mean for the global economy and India? Who will also face its own heat of inflation come summer? Sajid Chinoy or JP Morgan gives us the macro perspective.
1: Markets are coming around to the fact that central bank's work
0: is not being done. More rate hikes will be likely around the world. And on the micros of the market, is it time to dip in or have the joy of missing out? Rohit Shivast of India Charts tells us why he's flipping from being bullish to bearish.
2: We are at critical levels. What I'm trying to do right now is actually flip the switch from being bullish to bearish.
0: And a special voice from Dr. Gloom and Doom himself, Nurel Rubini.
3: Probably there is still room for some depreciation. a competitive currency should be actually one of the important objectives of the RBI.
0: An exclusive chat on the sidelines of ET's Global Business Summit. It's the last day of February. I'm your host, Anupriya, from The Economic Times, and you're listening to Markets in March. Only fear and no greed. So let's kick this off with Sajid Chinoy, Managing director and chief India Economist at J.P. Morgan. He's also the member of the Economic Advisory Council to the Prime Minister. Sajid, welcome back to The Morning Brief. Uh, good morning, Good to be here. Last week looked very different. This week, it's a completely new picture with the PCE report, which the Fed tracks very closely. And it's also touted to be Powell's favorite report. It's blowout and much hotter than expected. It's making everyone rework what they're anticipating from the Fed. The market's now reading, what, three to four more hikes. Uh, how does that change the dynamic?
1: Uh, true, Anupaya. A year ago, before the war started, remember the the narrative about 2022 was an R-word. It was a reflation. Everyone thought 22 was the year where inflation picks up and growth recovers. Then came the war. And six months later, there was another R word that gripped markets. And this time it was recession. But at the end of the year, and I think accentuated by the January data that you alluded to, there's another R word here, and that's resilience. right? Uh, that the global economy has actually been very resilient through multiple shocks. Um, the U.S. economy is proving far more resilient than markets had anticipated the first quarter of 2023, the global economy is going to slow this year compared to last year, but less than had been feared, and the global economy generally is more resilient. Now, that should ordinarily be good news, right? But we live in this crazy world where good news is bad news, and so markets are coming around to the fact that central banks' work is not being done, that the strength in demand along with lingering supply shocks is going to mean that uh, more rate hikes will, will be likely around the world.
0: So Sajid, the immaculate disinflation or the fairy tale ending of a soft landing is now just a distant hope. I was always in the camp that believed that this you know, immaculate
1: disinflation or soft landing that people said was a little bit of magical thinking because yes, there was a transitory component to inflation uh, through supply chain disruptions which have reversed, but let's not gloss over the fundamental shifts. There was a huge fiscal stimulus in advanced economies. Uh, in the US, it was you know 10% of GDP was the stimulus. And that meant that private sector balance sheets have been in very good shape in this crisis. And so demand is inevitably, uh, was going to be very strong given the strength of these balance sheets. But this strong demand was always going to confront lingering supply shock, particularly in the labor market. That adverse supply shock in the labor market um, hasn't gone away. And the combination of strong demand and the supply shock in the labor market has meant that in most advanced economies, you know, labor markets are the tightest in 50 years. Now, if wage inflation is running at 4 or 5%, and especially where productivity growth is slowing, that's not compatible with central banks being able to target inflation that's 2%. And that's why I was always skeptical that we could you know, engineer this immaculate disinflation So I think we have to brace for the fact that activity is very resilient. That also means it's going to take more work from central banks to bring inflation down. Um, I think central banks were always aware of this risk. I think markets had gotten ahead of themselves. were expecting this magical soft landing. And now that the data has come out stronger, both activity and prices, markets have abruptly repriced themselves.
0: So let me get this straight. If growth is just as stubborn as inflation, does that push the advanced economies into a tougher corner? And how deep and tough can this landing really get? I think the fact that growth
1: is more resilient means that you know, the rate hiking cycle is going to be deeper in most advanced economies. But that simply increases the risk of a global hard landing in 2024. Because at some point uh, the rate increases in 23 will reach uh, you know, a threshold which is going to tip the global economy into a perhaps a deeper recession either later this year or sometime in 24 so we need to be mindful that on the one hand you've got the soft landing but on the other hand you've got hard landing next year if these rate increases continue and i think emerging market central banks will have to be very mindful of that in this environment for the fed for example where their credibility is you know being questioned for the first time in four decades they'd rather make a type 1 error which is to do more than necessary and sure they squeeze inflation completely out of the system because, um, A, it will protect their reputation, but B, a type 1 error can be quickly reversed, where if they believe they've done too much, later this year, they can be cutting rates and offsetting that. So, they'd rather make a type 1 error than a type 2 error, which is to pause prematurely and find out six months later that inflation is again resurgent, right, and then have to double down. And I think, Again, Chairman Powell has said this several times across press conferences that he'd rather err on the side of a type 1 error. So, emerging market central banks now have a very difficult trade-off. Sorry, I I
0: just, I want to just pick your brain a little bit on that one. Why is a type 1 error better than a type 2 error? Because in either way that you're circling about and staying on course and not giving what the market, what you'd forecasted, which is given the dynamics that nobody can predict, but why is type 1 better?
1: Because think of what happens when so the type one error, let's say the Fed were to raise rates, you know, up to 6%. And we find out later this year that, well, core inflation, core uh, PCE inflation in the US is actually trending uh, below 2%. You know, it's in the one handle. I'm just making, you know, for the sake of argument. And we're in some kind of recession. Well, if the Fed can assure that inflation is on the one handle, much below their target, you could rapidly cut interest rates from 6% down to you know, whatever the number is, 50, basis points. We've seen when the pandemic struck, central banks were very quickly able to ease monetary conditions, right? So you can reverse that relatively quickly once you have conviction that the inflation beast has been conquered. But now think of what happens in a type 2 era, right? So think of what happened with Paul Walker in the late 70s where they raised interest rates and um, they engineered a recession, and the Fed kind of lost its nerve and cut interest rates prematurely and then realized that inflation surged again. And this time, to recover credibility and to ensure that inflation expectation you know, didn't get unhinged, the second time around, they had to raise interest rates very dramatically and engineer this double-dip recession. So if you pause too soon and inflation picks up and inflation expectations get unhinged and unmoored. And then central banks work a job is harder because then you have to really crush activity and growth to push inflation down and to get expectations to be anchored. So there is an asymmetry about this. That's why central banks in a situation like this would rather make a type one error because the sacrifice ratio in the long term is less. If you do a little bit more and cut rates, do too little, inflation festers, expectations harden, And then you truly have to crash activity to bring inflation down, which is what Paul Boker had to do, you know, in the early 80s.
0: Right. So where does that leave Dr. Das then between type 1s and type 2s? Because there is a difference of opinion within the RBI of how much per meeting and how far this rate tightening cycle will go. Yes.
1: Well, let me just say, uh, just stepping back here, I think the fact that the NPC can have such healthy debates is actually a sign of uh, how mature, that institution has become and evolved into. So I think that's a very healthy sign. I think, again, the RBI has, um, to its credit, you know, over the last year, just put its head down and done what it had to do. So the RBI has brought rates up to you know, 6.5%. And their first order of business was to ensure that, at least from a forward-looking perspective, real policy rates are positive and they've reached there. So having reached there, I can understand why the committee would become a little bit more agnostic about what needs to be done. These are debates that will be had all over the world because nobody quite knows in this new world what the neutral rate is. And if you don't know what the neutral rate is, you don't know know, how tight monetary policy needs to be to disinflate. We expect that there'll be at least one more rate hike in April. For me, it's not the headline number that's so worrying. I know markets have focused a lot on the January CPI number coming out much above expectations. You know, six and a half percent February is also tracking close to six and a half. And I think one of the MPC members made a very good distinction between uh, in in the minutes about steady inflation and intermittent inflation and how the focus needs to be on steady inflation. And when we talk about steady inflation, my concern has always been core inflation, that core inflation has averaged between five and a half to six percent for the last three years since the pandemic began. And the last six months, it has shown no signs of uh, yielding, despite the fact that input cost pressures have come down. So the fact that core inflation momentum is running at 6% or above uh, makes me a little bit concerned. And the second is more of a, it's a puzzle about, um, you know, if India's had relatively more slack than the U.S., for example, uh, you know, we're about 6 to 7% below our pre-pandemic path. Many emerging markets are below their pre-pandemic path. So if, there's, if that is some indication of slack in the economy, why has um, core inflation been so sticky? Is it um, that uh, inflation expectations have hardened uh, and that's you know, causing core to stay sticky? Or is it that the pandemic has kind of changed the industrial structure? You know, large firms around the world increased their market share in the pandemic, perhaps have more pricing power and therefore competitive intensity in some sectors is reduced. And is that causing uh, there to be higher inflation for any level of slack? We don't know. These are hypotheses. But the fact that core is so sticky, right, and the fact that the Fed will have to keep hiking, we think, deep into the summer will make it harder for emerging market central banks to look the other way. So I think the RBI will have to be data dependent, will have to be agnostic. Um, I think the the central bank is right that it's hard to give forward guidance in, uh, in times like this where there's so much uncertainty. So, for now, we're just going with the 25 basis point hike in April. There's a lot of water to flow between now and then.
0: Another part of this conversation is the currency and where it moves from here, Sajid. I want to just play out what Nurnal Rubini told us on the sidelines of Economic Times Global Business Summit just a week ago.
3: There is a state of the world in which, unfortunately, inflationary pressure may be persisting, and therefore the RBI might be forced to hike slightly more and withdraw further liquidity if the world is a weaker one. And if the world is going to be one in which there will be financial pressure on the currency, on the balance of payment and so on, then uh, the policy trade-offs are going to be challenging because either you prevent the currency by essentially weakening from by doing Forex intervention that has cost and benefits, or you let the currency weaken. If it weakens too much, that may be a source of important inflation or you hike essentially policy rates in a way that weakens economic growth. I think that you have to manage it carefully. I would say that the margin, while the currency is weakened, um, on a number of measure, say the, the real exchange at the equilibrium, probably there is still room for some depreciation, especially if you're thinking about having export-led growth, either of manufacturing or also of services. So a gradually falling currency may not lead to significant Imported inflation, especially because some of your raw material, like oil and energy from Russia, is bought at not international market prices, but discounted prices. And the benefit of having a slightly weaker currency, like in the case of the Asia, Asian Tiger, might outperform any kind of concerns about uh, imported inflation. So, maintaining a competitive currency should be actually one of the important objectives of the RBI.
0: Sajid, I remember you speaking in last year in August that there's uh, about the trade-off that there's nothing called a free lunch, and uh, you know protecting the currency will come at a cost. It's cost the RBI close to 15 billion dollars in February. Where do you see the rupee headed?
1: Uh, so many parts to this that we should unpack on a prayer. One is that you know the 15 billion dollars in February, a lot of it is just valuation effects, but it doesn't take away the larger point that yes, in the last few weeks as the dollar has strengthened emerging market currencies are under pressure again. Now, a couple of things. Number one, is there any reason to worry? Absolutely not, because we should have a debate about what the right trajectory of the currency is. But we should first stipulate that just given the sheer watchest of reserves that India still has in terms of FX reserves, that there is no reason to panic. The second question, therefore, is near term what's happening to the currency. And again, real said the right way to look at this is to look at the trade-weighted real effective exchange rate. Now, interestingly, what's happened in December and January and maybe parts of Feb is that India's real effective exchange rate has, has weakened and that's desirable. So I would just say over the last two years, the trade-weighted real effective exchange rate has been very stable, close to the 100 level. So I think prima facie, the central bank may well say that there's no reason to say that this is misaligned. Now, there's more caveats to this. Number one, in the medium term, would it be desirable to have some trade-weighted depreciation? I- I'm in that camp. I actually feel that uh, it's not clear that the current level, we're close to fair value. Uh, and to the extent that we really want to push on exports, we want to grab the China plus one opportunity. We need all the levers at our disposal. And having a competitive um, currency you know, in the medium term is desirable. And so we should hope to see at the appropriate time, that the RBI lets go and lets the currency depreciate. Now, this may not be that appropriate time because we've just discussed that inflation is very sticky and it's understandable why the RBI will not want the rupee to weaken meaningfully from current levels because that just adds to the inflation pressures. One final thing I'll say, which is very exciting and encouraging news is, you know, if you think about the current account deficit, two quarters ago, it was 4.4% of GDP, and the worry was that the current account would print above 3% for the full year. Fast forward two quarters, in the current quarter, it's tracking close to zero. It's close to balance. So some of the BOP pressures that we worried about six months ago, I think, are less acute now. It's absolutely the case that if a dollar continues to strengthen, there will be pressure on all emerging market currencies, and the rupee will also be part of that. But I think there's enough uh, ammunition still to ensure that any depreciation is gradual and calibrated.
0: So bottom line is that the rates will rise, currency may head lower and will not be smooth right. The market is already down for the month of February and March is not looking encouraging either. So let's get a check on the charts and momentum from a market veteran. Welcome back, Rohit. And for our listeners who are tuning in for the first time, Rohit's been with us. He's the founder and market strategist at indiacharts.com. Thank you so much, Rohit, for coming back and being part of this.
2: Great pleasure. Good to discuss markets in confusing times, let's call it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's start from that point. Let's start from the confusing point as well. Where do you stand right now? I'm going to use the most cliche line bullish, bearish, or do you have the privilege of being confused right now and the privilege of staying out of making that call at this point?
2: What I'm trying to do right now is actually flip the switch from being bullish to bearish uh, and doing it uh, one step at a time. We are we are at critical levels that will be decisive. I mean, we know all the factors that are playing on the market's mind and we are watching those factors closely. Uh, but in the end, if I have to take that call, it is based on what the market wants to do. Uh, the difference though is probably a few weeks back I was looking more at the bullish case simply because it was starting to look like sentiment uh, had really gotten too bad, which is still true today. But uh, what is playing on the market's mind is other factors and so if other factors take over, just like in a bull market, you know you can you can have uh, you know things like overbought readings or extreme bullishness but markets can keep going up. Are we entering a phase where, you know, markets keep falling irrespective of it looking like, you know, it's it's gone too far, but there's more to come. So, so, we are at the crossroads of that. There are key levels we are watching that will help us, you know, take that decision maybe even in the next two days. And that's how we are taking it.
0: Rohit, you wrote a report in December saying that this is the last chance to sell as around, Nifty was around about 18,800. And you said we were in an overbought zone even when the U.S. markets were looking like they were in an upmost trajectory. The Adani crisis had now pushed the markets into an oversold zone, some would say, come January. And now with the Fed once again piloting the sentiment on the downside, what are the big determinants and direction give us to this market?
2: I think the two-year is the determinant of where the Fed moves on rates. And so the two-year bond year started to rise. And that is what has triggered in the short term a global sell-off. Now the question then still goes back if we were an oversold market in January, even then rates were high and we've been hiking, then should this just be a knee-jerk reaction and the markets continue to recover? Because in the second half of the year, maybe things will ease a bit. You know, so so taking that call has become now more of a technical thing. You know, if you break certain levels, everybody's going to start managing risk because you just don't know how hard keeping rates higher for longer is going to hit the economy. That's I think the fear that will it really lead to a hard recession rather than a soft landing? Uh, and if that is the case, then we're running small more than what we were thinking earlier. So all these thoughts are causing global markets to get jittery in our market. It's not bounced at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Question is, will we break key levels? And so we started to watch key levels. One of the key levels for the next two days is going to be around 17,280, 270, which is the 20-month uh, moving average. If we actually close below that, then it sort of opens the gates for you know, another 1,000, 1,500 point downside possibility. Uh, and that's what we are really watching out for in the very, very short term. Having said that, it still looks, you know, every day if you look at data points like sentiment, you'll still feel that this market is oversold. And so it's getting tricky uh, and we are going to have to really manage it tightly.
0: What about the overhang of rate hikes? As you're saying, Powell will have to continue. Goldman has raised their uh, rate hike projection globally as well for Fed at this point, as of most other brokerages. That puts pressure back onto Main Street. How are you watching those charts at this point, Roy?
2: So, the two key charts uh, from the Indian context are going to be USB INR and the 10 year GSEC yield. You've seen the 10 year GSEC yield hit 7.5, 7.4% twice in the past and then cool off from there. So it started to look like, and so that's one more reason why we were getting a little easy on the market that maybe we don't get past 7.5%. So I simply did a study and looked back. A lot of crisis in our markets happened at the time when rates on the 10 year went above 10%. So that's when most market corrections were also seen. Otherwise, you know, many times markets discount rising rates uh, all the way to 7%, they don't really bother. But if you get beyond this level is where markets will get fearful. So clearly we are knocking at 7.45% again in the last few days, but we haven't gone beyond 7.5%. So that risk is there, but not yet reached elevated levels. So it's surely something that we are, we are going to be watching and, and what's happening in the US does put pressure there that if uh, the G6 start to uh, you know show higher yields, then the RBI is going to hike and uh, you know what does it do to, to the currency? So will the currency market give us a quicker signal? Because clearly you will have FIs and you know uh, traders, uh, exporters, everybody positioning themselves for a weaker currency in this uh, environment. And that would probably signal hiking rates as well. So if you get past 83, that's again a level that we've hit twice in the last couple of months and come back from. Now, once again, we are knocking at the doors of 83. So if we start trading successively above 83 for a couple of days, it will start looking like we have a breakout to a move towards 85 or 87. And uh, if that turns out to be true, then again, it's a pressure point. So these two macro variables, I think both are on the edge. Everything, like I said, it's all on the edge. Uh, uh, Even if we look at something like the mid cap index, it has held a particular level for like three times since October. Today, for the first time, we are trading below it. So all these levels breaking will become uh, signals of a risk off uh, in the Indian market.
0: How are you reading into the turnover and uh, flows data as well, Rohit? Because FIIs and FPI's have been sellers. What has held up this market dramatically has been the domestic money. And that was largely from the SIP corners. Now we've got the data coming in, like the Economic Times also reported, on the retail turnover starting to come down. They've seen a sharp decline from the 0 and the upstocks as well on active monthly joinees. 38 lakh active clients have come down on the NSE data as well. Are these all signals and they're not uh, market signals or economic or earning signals, but are these also signals that one will have to keep in account?
2: Yes, surely retail was in euphoric mode last year. You now, if that euphoria is cooling off, then if we are not going to get the same kind of bullish sentiment from retail, which was the main support behind the market, and if I continue to remain in, on the sell side, then where is the support going to come from? You know, so so that can be an argument. Uh, we probably have not seen things like SIP inflows really, you know, go down significantly. Or we may be a bit early. Or you still have you know, the pension flows which will come into the market, which is the talk of you know December that there's almost twenty thousand crores per month that will keep coming from these sources, and therefore the market still gets support. A larger change happens if your you know inflows uh, stop happening the inflows will only stop happening when markets take a much uh, deeper dive i think uh, just a 5 10% fall might not deter investors from continuing with sips you know so will that really slow down the inflows maybe not
0: you know i was noticing this gif you had put up on your twitter feed with of this cartoon character hitting themselves on the head with a bat at this point <laughs> with a lot of people with a big portfolio and you know who've deployed themselves and been lockdown down traders as they're being called or you know this is, a, this is a difficult time because there's no playbook you know people are looking at veterans like yourself to say does this look like 2008 does it look like 2001 bubble but it really doesn't the analogies are not working anymore so if someone is indeed hitting themselves on the head with the bat saying, I didn't sell off at 18,800 in December. Is this going to pull me lower or is it a good time to buy? What are you telling uh, clients at this point? Keep the bat away? No, I think
2: there was an opportunity to think about taking some risk in January. But that risk is really... Uh, that's why we are hitting ourselves on the head. Like <laughs> it didn't play out. And so I think again, it's time to really take a step back and stay away for a while probably let it go by March. I had this timeline calculation again while we were trying to do playbook. So uh, we looked at previous bear markets when we peaked in October of 2021. I said, well, average bear markets in India have lasted for around 18 months. So 18 months actually brings us to March of 2023. So that's a date I was giving even six to eight months ago. Now we're here. March of 2023 is right here next month. So maybe let a month pass. If investors have to get in, they really need to be sure that there is no meaningful downside risk, You know, sudden sell-off of 20% or 30%, that kind of a knee-jerk reaction, uh, similar to what we saw in in COVID. If that exists, then probably it would be behind us in the next month, then we would have a better buying opportunity. So, given all these risks, it may make sense for longer-term investors who want to hold for like five years, three years, to actually wait it out. Uh, maybe raise cash levels uh, and wait it out to the you know end of the month and then deploy again. That could sort of help in mitigating near-term risk that may be there. So, of course, each one's cash level depends on what level of drawdown you want to price into your portfolio. So, you can't put one level of cash on everybody because there was a time in December I said go oh, 100% cash. So, people say, are you still 100% cash? <laughs> then I realized it's not suitable for everybody because... Some portfolios don't mind a 30% drawdown. So they typically will create only that much cash, 30% cash you create. your drawdown risk is reduced and that's good enough. So each investor has to take that into account what they really want to achieve uh, in terms of risk uh, because you don't want to sell all your long-term investments, especially those which you bought at a low price. I mean, say if you bought Tata Power at 50, 60, and now today it's like uh, six times, seven times up. Uh, would you really want to be selling it here? Uh, because earnings have grown, P is back down to 20. So if you had such a long-term holding, you may not really be wanting to you know, reduce it or reduce it significantly. So then people have to take that call. Should it be a partial, reduce, create some cash, there may be an opportunity, better opportunity one month down the line. So different ways to deal with it, but definitely we'll have to deal with this risk and waiting for a month uh, at least to see what is really happening seems like a good idea at this moment.
0: The rate ride is accelerating, and there seems to be a hairpin bend that the markets had not mapped in. The destination for the Fed is clear, it's a 2% inflation target. But the roadkill along the way seems to be emerging market currencies and global growth. The RBI cannot ignore a fragile growth, but it also can't keep its foot off the rate pedal ahead of a hot inflationary summer. The real test remains on the rupee, which is under pressure. And even as economists press on the point that it needs to remain weak to stay competitive, the optics and economics in an election year may result in a more dynamic script than the street had accounted for. You've been listening to Markets in March, only fear and no greed on The Morning Brief with me, Anupriya. This episode was produced by Sumit Pandey, Sound Magic done by Indra Nirbhat Executive Producers Anirban Chaudhary, Arjit Berman, and yours truly. Do share the episode if you liked it. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday and you can catch it on any podcast platform of your choice. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great week ahead.